Well, Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy Christmas to you. Um, Yesterday was the annual observation of the birth or the appearance of Jesus in flesh. It It is a fantastic event to ponder. Charles Spurgeon was not a fan of the observation of Christmas because of its connection to the papal church, but he said it's always good to ponder the incarnation. He also said, if Christmas gets the working class an extra day off of work, then let there be seven Christmases a year. But only if it's on a Monday, right? <laughs> so it's good to take note of the birth of Jesus. However, there is a danger. I do not think it's a danger for the devoted Christian person. You may say, well, what's a devoted Christian person? I would say it's a person like this. A person who was born again, reads the Bible, goes to church over 40 times a year, tithes, lives for Christ, that kind of thing. A person who's a real live genuine Christian. A lot of people are Christian in word, but not in reality. Down south, there's a a black lady, she told me one time, she said, a lot of people got Jesus on their mouth, but no Jesus in their heart. A lot of talk, but no reality, no substance. So the danger is that people do not sometimes seem to understand that Jesus is not a baby anymore. And he's not going to come again in the second coming as a baby. Have you ever noticed how that a person, when you meet them, can become fixed in your mind at a certain age forever? And it kind of shocks you when you see him that way. A couple in our church in Oklahoma, they had a a one-year-old grandson they brought into church, and his name was Oliver. And I remember looking at him, you know, when when, when somebody in your church brings a new grandbaby to church, you got to make over it. You got to kind of ooh and ah and say, how cute, even if it's not true, right? You have have to do it. And so I was making over the little child and, and smiling, you know, and then I didn't see him again for five years. His great aunt died and I was doing her funeral. Five years later, this little man walks in the back of the church wearing a little dark suit, a little tie. And he comes forward, and, and he, he's with the son of this couple, who I'd met a couple times. And I said, well, who is this? Well, this is Oliver. <laughs> mind blown. Because in my mind, he was still just a little baby. But now here he is, five years old. It's amazing how we can fix people in our mind at a certain age or certain time of life, and they never change. But my friends, we have to remember that Jesus Christ is not a baby anymore. And the next time he comes, it will not be meek and mild, gentle and lowly. When Jesus comes again, he is coming to gather up his people to his side. And then he's going to pour out something upon the world that no person has seen yet. Jesus is going to pour out his wrath upon the world. Listen to this reading from Revelation chapter 12, Revelation 6, verses 12 to 17. John says, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. This is Jesus opening the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake, and the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth. As figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind, the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, 
The generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? This text tells us what to expect the next time that Jesus comes. And an old preacher from Texas, now long gone, he used to have a sermon he used to preach. Kind of every, every preacher has their favorite sermons to preach, and this guy had a favorite sermon. He would preach this sermon called, Jesus is Coming, and He Sure is Angry. And he would describe it like this. He would say, Jesus has heard people calling his mother a whore, and he's awful angry about it. Jesus has watched as people have mocked his holy book, and he is angry. Jesus has heard them mock him and accuse him of homosexuality. He's not happy about it. He's heard them belittle his precious blood poured out for sinners. He has seen what the world has done to his church, and he is not happy. He is angry. He's coming and he's angry. With great effect, that old mule skinner, he made his point that the next time Jesus comes, he's coming to settle accounts. He's not coming to make friends. He's coming to deal out justice. And in a very real way, what is now the open hand of Jesus beckoning sinners to come in, asking them to come in, it will change into a clenched fist of judgment and no longer will he be the savior of the world, he will be its judge. A change in his attitude. Listen to John 5, 26 through 27. For as the Father hath life in himself, even so gave he to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him, that's Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is a son of man. It will be the man Christ Jesus sitting on the throne delivering judgment. A man who at all points was tempted like as you are, you are and I are, yet without sin. He's coming to judgment. Matthew 25, 31 says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Verse 41 says, Then He will say to those on His left hand, Depart from Me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, friends, the one who would have been their Savior in that day is now their judge and He will deliver justice. He will deliver justice. The last two years, we've seen the whole nation crying out for justice in various ways, haven't we? Justice, justice, justice. Justice. Justice is coming. Justice is coming. And this justice will say that for your rejection of His Son and for your disobedience of His holy law, you will die physically, then you will die spiritually, and then you will suffer forever in a place of not just torment, but eternal torment. Ongoing, unending torment for rejecting Christ and not obeying his holy law. And that's what is coming in the future. But Jesus Christ has not returned yet. 
So to you, all of you, his hand of friendship, love, and salvation is extended. And I am right here right now because people in the past have believed this message. People behind me, a long, a long line of forefathers and foremothers are before me who have trusted in Christ and who've passed down the gospel message down through the generations all the way to where we are today. For 20 centuries, the gospel has been proclaimed from pulpits, couches, coffee tables, in jail cells, in hospital rooms, in Sunday school classrooms. For 2,000 years, men, women, boys and girls from every stratum of society, from every tribe and every mix of ethnicities have been putting their faith and hope in Jesus as their Savior. And the grand old story of Jesus and his love has traveled the world. It's been translated into a hundred languages, best of all, into our language, the good news of Jesus. Now here today, I want to give you four sentences to ponder. And I hope that they will disturb you. And I hope that they will haunt you. And I hope that they will annoy you for the rest of your life on this planet. Four sentences. Number one, you need a Savior. You need a Savior. Listen to this checklist of sins that will keep you out of heaven. This is Ephesians 5, verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, listen to this next one, greedy person. <laughs> Hath they inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now we know about immoral and impure, we talk about that a lot, but greedy. Isn't this a good time of year to talk about greed? <laughs> greed 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who have sex with men nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor slanderers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God Galatians 5, 19 to 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now these lists are very helpful because these lists inform us of the kind of people who need a Savior. And if you check the box by any of these sins, past or present, you need a Savior. It's, it's kind of a nice thing. Checklist. You know what you need to do. You know what you need. I was at my doctor in Oklahoma one time, and he was sitting there, and he was, he was asking me what my problem was. And I was trying to tell him, and he said, okay. And then he turned to a computer, and he, and he started reading off stuff, and he was ticking the boxes. I think he was on WebMD. <laughs> and he checks off a bunch of stuff, and he says, you have. I was like, I thought you were a doctor. I thought this would work some other way. Maybe it's a safety feature. But he said, I know what to do for you. And he gave me some, some medicine, and, you know, and here I am. So it worked. Checklists are nice. They tell you what you need. 
Now, these checklists do not mean that if you haven't committed any of these sins, which I really doubt, but this check, these checklists do not mean that if you stop committing these sins, you will be saved. Listen to sentence number two. You need a Savior because you cannot save yourself. Listen to Galatians 2, verse 15. A person is not justified or saved by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. You can work yourself crazy trying to fit yourself for heaven, but you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be good enough. Do you guys remember... When you wanted to get, when you, when, oh, I'll just, I'll just, I'm not going to skip that. <laughs> Did you got, when, when Valerie and I were dating, right? So I was not the snappiest dresser before I met Valerie. I'm still not that snappy, but you know, under her guidance and tutelage, I've learned a few things. But I remember this one particular time I was talking to her. And I had a flannel shirt with the sleeves cut out, right? Muscle shirt type, you know? And I, was, and I didn't know girls found armpit hair offensive. I thought it was like, you know, baby beard. <laughs> and here I am, I'm carrying, I'm trying to impress this girl dressed like this. And somewhere along the path there, I got the idea that she didn't think I dressed that well. So, man, I went down to JCPenney. I bought myself a pair of khaki dockers. I bought myself, you know, the people at Penny's are nice because they'll put shirts that match pants close together sometimes. They'll pair them up. Have you ever gone into the store and said, I'll take what that mannequin's wearing? <laughs> ever done that? That's me. That's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. So I got the right clothes, and I was, I was <laughs> then you, you got to do something about the, <laughs> the structure, right? <laughs> so I'm looking in the mirror, trying to get my hair combed just right so, so, she'll, you know, so I look nice. I'm trying to get everything just right. I try to get myself fixed up just right so that when I go see her, she'll just melt, you know, just be putty in my hands. That's what I'm, that's what I'm aiming for. But there's still a big problem. Inside all the external gloriousness is still me. It's still me. It's still, it's still me. And no matter what I do to the outside of me, no matter how much money I spend on the outside of me, it's still me. And so somewhere in there, she demonstrated to me a great measure of grace. She overlooked my imperfections and flaws. She overlooked the fact that I said, that I would say, had went. Because went doesn't need a helper, Terry. I've heard that a thousand times. Grammar Nazi, that's what she is. Grammar Nazi. She had to condescend down to me. Even though I I worked as hard as I could, it still required her 
to bestow her love upon me freely and say, I'm going to take you. I'm going to have you. And my friends, you can work yourself into you can work yourself into the best possible shape. You can give all your money to the poor. You, you can be known throughout your community as a person of benevolence and grace and kindness, but it ain't going to be good enough. You have to have a savior. Someone to give to you something that you do not have on your own. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, Now, Paul's talking to people who are Christians. He's telling them what they were. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. You cannot save yourself, you need a Savior. Third sentence, that Savior is Jesus. Jesus will be the judge in the last day. But until that day comes, Jesus is in a saving disposition. Listen to Psalm 2, verse 12. Kiss the Son, or He will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. His wrath can flare up in a moment. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. This verse of scripture actually changed the whole course of British Baptist history. When Andrew Fuller read this passage, he saw that the son is calling to sinners now, come and believe. Come and believe. Because he's on the throne and he's giving you opportunity saying, submit to me, kiss the son. Or your way will take you to destruction. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4, 10 says this. Paul says that the reason that he and others serve God tirelessly and sacrificially is because they have put their hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. That verse of Scripture always kind of sounded weird to me. He's the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. John Gill says like this, that Paul is saying, there is no one else who can save you but Jesus. There's no one else who can save you but Jesus. 
No one else can save you but Jesus. And you must run to Him. You must flee to Him. You must call upon Him. You must look to Christ or you will be lost because you have no righteousness of your own. You do not deserve to go to heaven. You will never deserve to go to heaven. You can never merit heaven. Only Jesus can give you the righteousness you need to get to heaven. He's the Savior of those who believe in Him. He's the Savior of the world. If any will look to Him and call upon Him, He'll have them, but they must look to Him. You can't look anywhere else. Romans 10, 9-13 says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, I bet there's a lot of people who've done that. Verbal confession. Jesus is Lord. But Paul, he knows people. Listen to what he says following. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. (laughs) Not just here. Here. True, sincere. When I was a kid, I had a brother. I still got a brother. And, you know, we were always doing stuff to each other. And a couple times I may have done something mean to my brother. I may have struck him with various items. I may have shot at him with a BB gun, maybe. I may have thrown water in his face. I may have said, hey, and he turned around and you know, threw water in his face. I did things to my brother pretty often. Bless his heart. And my, my mother, my brother, because he was one of those kids who whined and complained about every little thing you did to him... <laughs> Well, run to my mom and say, now, listen, everybody, I want everybody to, I'm going to tell you a secret about myself, okay? So my parents never called me Terry, like ever. On my Christmas card this year, they wrote my true, my true name. And it's, it's Bumper. B-U-M-P-E-R. Bumper. And just think about what a cool name that actually is. Bumper Basham. (laughs) So my brother, he'd run in the house and say, Mom, 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 Bumper, Bumper, Bumper did this, Bumper did that. Used to make me want to vomit to hear him do that. What a weenie. I was trying to make a man out of him. (laughs) What's he doing? So my mom, she dragged me before her own personal tribunal, <laughs> declared me guilty, and say, tell your brother you're sorry. Sorry. Say it like you mean it. How do you do that? <laughs> so I would say, I'm sorry. She said, I said like you mean it. And so I'm, I'm working it up, you know. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. I'm trying to work. But you know what? The minute we got out of that room, he was dead meat. Because I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it at all. It was all right here. Nothing in here. I remember being a kid and going to church. And here, my dad was a pastor. My dad's still a pastor. Hear my dad flinging down the gospel, letting it rip. 
And I'm sitting on the front row trying to look like I enjoy it, trying to look like it's good. It wasn't good. I remember when I was about 12 years old, my dad, we were having youth night at the church. My dad said, hey, we got to have all the, all the kids are going to do something in the, in the church. Your brother's going to sing because he could sing. This other kid's going to play the piano because he can play the piano. And these other kids are going to be the usher, and you're going to preach the sermon. I was like, I got to give the sermon? And so, yeah. And so my dad, he wrote out a little sermon for me to give, and I gave the sermon. And you know, later on, we had, a, we had a young couple who visited at night the first time. You know, you never, first time visitors, you don't want them to hear a 12 year old kid who ain't a Christian preach. I mean, it's not the way you want it to go. This guy's name was Chuck Balsamo. I can, I can remember his name all those years. Chuck, they came back to church the next week, and the guy told my dad, he said, and he got saved the next Sunday morning, and the guy told my dad, I wanted to get saved last week when that kid preached. I'm like, Phew. What is going on? It was all fake, though. I didn't mean any of it. I went to youth camp as a kid. I used to go knock on doors. It was all fake. It was all external. There was no heart faith. But that changed, thanks be to God. That brings us to the fourth sentence. You must, on purpose, intentionally, sincerely call upon Christ to save you. You have to do it. You have to. No one can do it for you. We can lead you in prayers. You may have become a Christian by praying with Billy Graham on his broadcast or maybe in some church where a pastor said, if you want to receive Christ, pray with me. You may have prayed. But if it was not from a heart of faith, If you didn't mean it, it didn't take. We can lead you in prayers, but we cannot make you mean it. We can pray for you, but we cannot pray you into salvation. You must believe for yourself. You must do it. Or you will face the consequences of your sin and rejection of Christ as Lord and Savior. And in the words of Captain Jack Sparrow, You savvy? You savvy? You get it? You got to do it. No one can do it for you. In 1829, two men, George Wilson and James Porter, they robbed the, the United States mail. Both were subsequently captured and tried in a court of law. In May 1830, both men were found guilty and sentenced to death. By hanging. Porter was executed on schedule, but Wilson was not. Wilson had some influential friends, and they pled for him with the President of the United States at the time, Andrew Jackson. And on his behalf, Andrew Jackson granted a full and free pardon for Wilson. Wilson heard about the pardon received the pardon, and said, I will not accept this pardon. Wilson said, I am not, I'm going to be hung. All his friends are like, come on, man. What's wrong with you? Got a get-out-of-jail-free card here. The guy you did the dastardly deed with, he's dead. Hung by the neck. Accept the pardon. 
Wilson refuses. Well, his friends are set. You know how they say it? His friends say, if you have a pardon, you don't get a choice. It went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court determined that the court cannot give the prisoner the benefit of the pardon unless he claims the benefit of it. It is a grant to him. It is his property. And he may accept it or not as he pleases. Chief Justice John Marshall wrote this. A pardon is an act of grace proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of laws. But delivery is not completed without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and we have no power in a court to force it on him. George Wilson was hung by the neck until he was dead. Think about that. There's a guy who could have went free. He had the bill of freedom in his hands, and he says, I'm not going to do it. Whatever his reasons are, I don't know. But I'm using it as an illustration of what is in your hands today. The hand of Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners, is extended to you, and you can be saved today if you will accept the pardon that comes only from Christ. Only from Christ. If you will accept the pardon that is available to you only from Christ, you can be saved. If you will put your faith and trust and confidence in Jesus, you can be saved. If you don't, then you're going to be damned. And damned and damned for all eternity. The ball's in your court. What will you do? You should believe on Christ. Call out to him. Believe now while you can. One of my friends, Tim Green, he gave his preaching on gospel sermon. It was called, A Great Gulf is Fixed. And Tim said that between God and man, there's a gulf. There's a great chasm between the two. And he said every once in a while, the chasm is closed and sinners can come across. He said the saddest thing about it is it reopens. Open and closed. Look to Christ and be saved while you can. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. And his blood will save you before he comes. But if you do not accept Christ as your Savior before he comes, then you will be the object of the wrath of Jesus. When Jesus comes again, he will not be your Savior. He will be your judge. And he will give you exactly what you deserve. Now let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a second. It's hard to know how sermon, the effect that sermons have on people. But for about the next 60 seconds, I want us to sit quietly. And if the Lord has spoken to your heart, if he has shown you for the first time in your life that you need Jesus, call out to him. If the Lord has spoken to you and kind of highlighted to you the fact that you're backslidden and away from him and you need to rededicate your life to him, do it. If there's some other need God has spoken to you about directly, take this next minute or so and pray to him about whatever your need might be.
Father, I commend the preaching of this sermon into your hands. We give all these people to you. We entrust them to the care of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.